You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Tuesday and welcome to Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and right next to me, as always, I've got Drake, a couple Florida State alumni, fans first, people second, and we're podcasters third, and what we're doing right now is podcasting. So, Drake, how are you, buddy? We're good. We're good over here. We are. We. I am good. I am good over here. Sorry, folks. It's been a long, long Monday, but I was going to say that we are content creators third because we do a lot more of the podcasting. You're a great content girl, Dad. Creators third. Ah, yeah, that's true. That's not okay, content. Oh, I do that because I love her. But anyway, folks, <laughs> we got a great show for you today. We're happy that you're choosing to spend your Tuesday with us, and we will be talking about your two favorite things. One thing that matters, recruiting, and the other that well, matters to us, hypothetical realignment scenarios that won't happen for at least a decade. So first, we'll start off with the recruits that we landed in the trenches over the weekend. Sunday, I guess it was two days ago, as you're listening to this. Daughtry Richardson, offensive tackle, six foot four, 285 pounds. And then another six foot four, roughly 280 pounds, defensive tackle, Daniel Lyons. Both of them come out of South Florida, one a little more south than the other. I, where is Homestead? I like, where does that Homestead fall? Homestead is Miami. about, I want to, it's south of, of Kendall, Miami, which is like the most southern part of Miami. And Homestead is kind of like the Redlands area. It's about 40 miles from like Key Largo. It's very, very down south. My cousin lives down at Homestead. Shout out, Michael. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, two really true blue South Florida guys. Drake, which one of these two is your favorite, do you think, as a as a pickup? Uh, me, personally, I like Daniel Lyons a little bit more, mainly because we need a defensive tackle. His length is pretty damn good, and you can see some of his highlight tape that he's actually a super, super strong kid. He knows how to use his leverage because he is a bigger, bigger dude. I mean, like you said, he's, what, 6'4", 270. He's probably going to probably grow another inch before he gets here, so 6'5". When he gets here, gets the weight room, it'll be like 295. So, I'm stoked for that. Dodger Richardson, actually, if you guys didn't know, he used to play with Moose at Godby. He actually was the kid that when I was watching his tape, when we were recruiting him, that's where I found out about Nigel Kelly. He I knew I knew that name yeah. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He absolutely like blew by Daughtry. Like he, like the, and Daughtry, he, he's a boomer bust prospect to me. I think he has the talent level to be very, very solid here, especially because he's the, probably the – he has the best frame and the best body to become a tackle for us, which is what we really, really need. A lot of our guys are – interior lineman like a Quayshon Sapp or a Kanaya Charlton. But I'm actually very interested to see how he pans out because I know that the staff has been on him for probably a year and a half. So it's very good that we won out the recruiting battle, especially, you know, down there in Miami because he did transfer, I think, down there towards, I want to say, was it Miami Central? Miami, that's yeah, like, is that Miami Central? Miami Central, which is like, they produce they produce linemen. And they produce, you know, quality players. So I'm actually stoked that we won and we stuffed Manny Diaz in a locker once again. Once again, yeah, that you really want him. He's six foot four. Like I said yesterday, I'm I really want like some of those six foot six offensive tackles. One upside for him is he has a six foot like six foot ten ish wingspan. Yeah, so he's, he's got, got long he's got, arms. He's got, he's got, he's got, got the arms, which which you kind of need. Like because I remember one I. I forget the lineman's name from a few years ago that we had. He had the size and everything, but he had kind of went for those T Rex arms a little bit, yep. and like he oh he got beat up a lot on the inside. So it's really good to see, like you know, hey, he's not as tall as you want, but his length, his arms are as long as you know of someone like a six percent, six percent caliber. So that's a good sign. Well, but it's like the Michael Phelps build. I I think that would probably I don't know maybe there's someone that disagrees with me that studied this analytically, but I got to think that that makes the most sense if they have the arm length. That's the length you want, and then they're 
six foot four, they can keep their pad level a little lower than someone six six. So I think that's probably the best of both worlds. I really like the tape that I saw in Daniel Lyons. Like I said yesterday, I like that he gets upfield and I like that he makes a lot of tackles from behind because if you watched last year, I know that we're all excited about the turnover and we're pretending as if every single person that was in that locker room last year that is now going to be on this team wasn't responsible. But we have a major effort problem on this team that until we see differently on the field, I'm not willing to say has been cleansed. So I love seeing effort on tape. We haven't really talked about that in a while, but it's good. It's good to see a defensive tackle that knows he's going to D1, just chasing kids down from behind over and over again and really getting after it on the play. Love to see that motor out there. I I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, he does have that, but I will say that there are some times where he tries to have rely on his athleticism a little bit too much because he is kind of like a, one of the bigger guys on the entire field. So, like, if you do see him up against bigger linemen that are maybe around his size or, like, up to his caliber low, like playing the, playing at the power five at the next step, he is not as dominant as you would like to see. So, to me, he's not a day one starter. He might not even be a year two starter. He might be a reserve guy, but I definitely could see him, you know, three years down the road that he's someone that we can really look out for. But also, he's one of those kids that I think actually has a really high ceiling that also that, He's one of the kids that if we don't win six games, he's not going to be here at the end of the year. And that's probably one of the most important things. He's probably one of the first kids that I kind of feel that way about. So, Yeah, he's one of those kids, too, that I think it it isn't as much about six games, seven games, or eight games. It's about the triangle of doom that we have spoken about. What should we call it? Should we call it a November to remember? The, the November stretch we're talking, we've talked about. Clemson, Miami, Florida, uh, Boston College, all within four weeks. That's that's going to be important for a lot of these recruits because right now we are stealing recruits from Miami right out of their own backyard. But we go out there and lose by 40 points again to Miami. I have a feeling some of those kids might be considering which school they really want to spend four years at. Not saying that's going to happen, but I think he is one of those kids that will be it's going to be important to win that game or at least you you got to lose it on something fluky. Like if we were to go out there and lose the way we lost to them in Willie's first year where we really kind of had a run or had a run where we were really running up the score. It looked like we were going to run away with it. And just two really, really fluky turnovers in our own zone lead to us just completely falling apart. It wasn't pretty. I wouldn't want to lose that way again, but that sure as heck a lot better than just getting Blitzkrieg 52 to 10. No. Yeah. We, but we also need to see from the get go just improvements across the board. Like that's why I sure. think, Six right there to me, like that's six wins. You keep a majority of your kids. You do need to be competitive in those games, especially against Miami, especially against Florida. You need to honestly, in my personal opinion, win one of those games. That and primarily, we're more and we're more in competition for these recruits with the University of Miami than honestly than Florida, because Florida right now is, is they're in a better spot right now than we are. They should be recruiting recruiting better, but that's a discussion for a different day. But we really do need to win those games out and probably. I probably think put the sweet spot at seven to keep these kids because also if we win seven, maybe win eight, there are going to be some kids that we kind of be, we kind of process out and probably go for, go not start hunting, but we go higher caliber too. So I, after talking to people, have developed this thought. And I, I think that overall record matters very little to recruits. And here's why I think there's two types of kids. And there's the type of kids that aren't really going to watch the games or just going to see what pops on social media and things like that. Like 90 so I think those, Right. Yeah. So I think for those kids, it's less about overall record and more about how you do against specific opponents, because that's, what's really going to hit Twitter. Like we could be, we could have three wins. If we go out there and beat Miami by 21, 
they're just going to see, oh, wow, Florida State spanked Miami. Obviously, three wins would be a little extreme. Yeah, I'm about to say, man, like if, you're, if you if only three wins in Miami, they're still going to like be kind of like you're only winning three games. Like why? Yeah, but it, but I think but I think I think equally it wouldn't have mattered if we won nine games last year. If people are still like, yeah, but you lost to Miami by 40 points, so you gotta you still got to look at that. And I and think if I'm that, Norvell, I'd be like, I'm not on the I'm not, I was on the sideline that day. Well, okay, but pretend he was. You get, you get, you get my point. I think that the the head to head against rivals, especially in the state of Florida where we recruit, is a lot more important than just. I think if you get six wins but you lose all four of those in November, then six wins doesn't matter. I think if you win five games but you beat Florida and Miami and you're one below six, I think that's a pretty impressive season to recruit. You know what I'm saying? I, no, I, I get what you're saying. I just disagree with you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I get, I get what you're saying mainly because, like, to me, the the six is the sweet spot primarily because some of these kids actually do want to go to bowl games too, and they do kind of want to win a lot more games. So, like, that's why that's why to me the six thing is like kind of the nicest spot with that. But I do get what you're saying because, especially for these kids that are are from South Florida, they they want to go to a school that no one wants to be the recruiting class or the class of kids that never be another school. Cam Akers will for the rest of his career be someone that never be Miami. Brian McFadden is the same way over at the CBS Network with his podcast now. Now, on the other side, you have Jameis who always beat them. Dalvin always beat them. Jalen always beat them. So it is very important for primarily these Southern Florida kids, which you're right, which we primarily recruit. But I do think you kind of have to weigh the two a little bit. I put the wins a little bit more for those kids because, like, if you see Norvell does recruit out of the state a lot more than uh, previous coaches. True. No, that's true. I mean, again, I think they all have an uncle or something that's a Miami fan, and they just don't want to be embarrassed four years in a row. And – you can win 10 games, but if you lose to Miami, I'll tell you what, that uncle is never going to let you hear the end of it for 364 days until you get your shot again. Now, I don't know. I guess, you know, it's okay that we're in disagreement because the people can decide whatever they want. And if y'all think that we're going to go a certain way or whatever against Miami, the good news is it's on the game of the year right now on betonline.ag. You guys can go there. Create an account, use promo code Locked On, get a 50% welcome bonus, and use that to bet on the game of the year. The line's up, it's hot, it's ready for you to hit. So go to betonline.ag, promo code Locked On. All right, so let's dig into the topic du jour, that means of the day for those of you who don't speak French, and talk about realignment. It's been crazy. I talked about it yesterday, and I'm sure we will be talking about it for some time to come because y'all love yourselves some realignment. The Twitter sphere has been buzzing like a freaking power line down in a puddle during a hurricane, and y'all just want to, you know, go on about it. And fortunately for you, at Locked On Seminoles, we do too. So, Drake, yesterday I broke down what I think is the coolest, most talked about, but I think least likely scenario in my opinion. Then I went with what I think is probably the most I don't know likely to happen scenario, but probably what will be attempted at first, and that's the AAC tells the Big Ten to take, or Big 12, I'm sorry, or Big 8, whatever they're going to call themselves, to take a hike, and they try to go grab some of the big boys. But you're, you're our, or not grab them, they try to get to the big boy table by bringing in the Big 8 that are still remaining. But you're the a stragglers. compliance guy, exactly. And I, I want your opinion on this more than anything what do you think the big eight now has to do to retain their automatic qualifying status and do you think that if there's nothing they can do that they will just completely cut it down to a group of four and then another group or a power four and a group of six 
what do you think that's going to look like if something drastic doesn't happen? So to me, I think the Big 12 right now needs to probably go over to the American Athletic Conference and snag some of their people. And I would probably, if I was them, I would look towards like maybe in Eastern Carolina. UCF is probably one of the hot, the hotter beds right now, even though if I'm the ACC, I call them immediately because like, what's going on right now. If, like, if I'm John Phillips, a new um, – the new commissioner of the, um, of the ACC, he definitely needs to, you know, get to get the ball rolling. I'm putting, pulling some of these people in there because the SEC is going to leave you out to dry because they reportedly, with if this move goes through, everything smoothly. By 2024, their revenue is projected to be about $1.3 billion, which is the same amount that the NCAA for football actually makes in the entire year, which is absolutely absurd. So if I'm Big 12, I would definitely go for either UCF or probably go over to let's see or go around memphis and smu as well because smu you would have the three schools still in texas along with houston but that's what i would do and if they don't say no i mean yeah sorry if they don't say yes then unfortunately that's going to be the end of the beginning of the end for them because they don't have their big breadwinners were texas and oklahoma that we all knew that they had the best the best history out of all the schools there and if I'm then at the point at that point then you're probably just do as a, as a as a garage sale where the kid every single school is gonna go somewhere new yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they play it. I know that the commissioner of the Big 12 said he was completely caught off guard by this, which that's not I, true. I wouldn't have admitted out loud if I were him. No, that's no. yeah. I, I don't know why that if it's true or not. I don't know why you'd say that. Yeah, it makes you true. sound like you have no idea what's going on. So I, I guess it's you know what they say. It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And a man opened the mouth. I've never heard and, that before. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good saying. That's I, a good saying. I like that. Yeah, I talk too much, so my mom tells me that all the time. Nice. I, I will say this about UCF. I think we need to think about football as a business, and you, you, you're actually usually pretty good about that. UCF, they are sort of a hot ticket item right now, but they don't have a fan base, really. You look at it, they have 70,000 students. Their average game attendance last year is like, like 40,000, or in 2019, mm -hmm. it was 43,000. 2017, it was down to 36. So they are making some progress, but... They, they don't really have any national – they get talked about a lot because of their antics. but mm -hmm. And, well, okay, to be fair, because of their recent success as well. I was about to ask that. Like, would you, like, as a business person, would you bank on their recent success? Because they, they are increasing, you know, with, like, alumni and boosters and stuff like that and attendance. Would you bank on that future potentially for a bigger payout down the road? Because I definitely would. Because no, Especially with Gus Malzahn coming in. And if they go to a bigger conference – that's true. No, those are those are good points, but I just I think it dilutes your Florida brand. To, well, I guess mm, no, because most UCF UCF alumni are Florida fans, and you don't have Florida in your conference. I, I still most UCF fans I know, other than your brother, like mm -hmm. aren't actually UCF fans. They're like they're Florida fans, they're Miami fans, they're Florida State fans. Well, what's um, the age group of those people? I don't know, like our age ish. Oh, really? Scott, okay. Well, Scott's yeah. old, so he counts. Oh, Scott's ancient. Uh, like, come on, dude. But yeah, I, anyway. <laughs> no, so oh, I, God. so yeah, I, I guess we, we can have two different conversations. We can talk about the, where do you want to go with this? Do you want to talk about what we would do? Do you want to talk about the plausible? Do you want to talk about the possible? Or do you want to talk about the most likely? Anything I feel of like those four, I'm happy to chit chat about because we're going to have, we have tons of time to talk about this. And there, there's a lot to talk about about this. So, whichever one you want to do tonight, Let's hit it. I was say you pick the one because I know you you are on a roll from yesterday's episode. So why don't you pick where we go on first? Okay, so I did I did my hottest one. I'd like to do I'd like to do the plausible is okay. what I'd like to talk about. And for me, the the plausible is I already talked about the AAC. So let me talk about another one. I I do think there is a plausible merger of the Pac twelve and the Big Ten. 
I think that that makes a lot of sense because if you if you look at it, mm, this is this it's more into like the yeah this is mildly plausible. I think that it makes a lot of sense for the good academic schools of the Pac-12 to go over to the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and then I think you see the now I'm gonna just keep calling them the Big Eight. You see the Big Eight try to absorb the other like kind of a hodgepodge of AAC schools and leftover Pac-12 schools, and then it just kills the Pac-12. And now if there wants to be some kind of AAC Mountain West Pac-12 type hybrid thing that wants to try to vie for Power 5 status, maybe they try that. I don't think they get it. But I think to me, there's a very plausible world in which we end up with a Power 4 and it's Mm -hmm. the Big 10, in name only the Big 12, the SEC and the ACC. And I think the Big 12 is going to be the – the Utah, the Oregon probably gets in there. I'm saying Big 12, right? Yeah, Big 12. Oregon, you get your Utah types in there. You bring those folks in. I think UCLA, Stanford, and USC go to the big the, 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 the strong academics. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah though, like who would be the fourth one to make it 16? I think those are the three obvious and maybe maybe uh at USC probably honestly not oh, I said USC yeah so USC Cal. maybe they take maybe they oh Cal yeah absolutely yeah, Cal, absolutely. yeah Cal, Cal makes Cal the most sense you take you take Cal you take UCLA you take USC you take Stanford you guys get together you form a little alliance and get the hell out of the Pac-12 and I think you go to the Big 10 the only thing you lose there is there are sports that I know that Stanford does that like what was that scandal the sailing coach I don't know if the Big 10 does those things I don't know. The other thing I would ask, I don't know. Is, I don't know either. Actually, That's how does the Big Ten feel about? Because I, I I was by myself last night. How does the Big Ten feel about hockey and wrestling? I know those are huge sports for them. So do they? It, will they bring huge. on schools that don't have it? I, I, mean, I, I mean, your school doesn't need to have it as long as long as long okay. as you, you, yeah. So you're basically fine with that. Like I know Michigan this past year had probably one of the most dynamite like teams, I think on hockey in the past 10 years, I mean, they had like I think eight first round picks was absolutely absurd, especially because most of them are Americans, but I mean, they will be fine. But back to your realignment thing, I think we're in the same boat. Like folks, I, there's not going to be a super league of two conferences. If you really want that to happen, ask how, ask how the premier league and La Liga just tried that with soccer and that didn't end up well whatsoever. And it lasted six days, it lasted literally six, six days. It lasted literally less than a week. And I always say this, like soccer, international soccer, and all the way down to club level is exactly this works the same way as college football. And up to down, up down the culture, tradition, the fan bases, it's, it's literally mirror images. But I'm with Max. Like, I'm going to call mine the core four. That's what I've been thinking of like that. I've been trying to think of a core really four. good name. I like so, yeah, I like the yeah, core four. So to me, the Pac-12, I do see schools like a Cal, a USC, a Stanford, and UCLA, they will go over the Big Ten because they do fill the academic requirement thing, and they are great research universities as well as great graduate program universities. I think the rest of those schools and the Pac-12 are going to go somewhere like the Mountain West because I really have a really hard issue with the Big 12 having half of their games in, like, Waco, and then the other half having their games all the way on the West Coast. Like, that's going to be bad for fan bases, and that's just way too far of a drive, and also the time differences aren't going to work out for that. So Yeah, sorry. I knew we were forgetting one. University of Washington has to go too. I, I just I thought there was one I was forgetting. University are, of Washington. Did you, did you, I don't know anything about them. They are number two in the nation in funding spent on research. They spend one point three billion dollars annually, second only to Harvard in how in the size of research or not spent. I'm sorry, they receive that in NIH research grants. Uh, so they are a huge medical research school. 
Um, see, like I think they wouldn't. Well, who would have eh, known? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that for that, we'll, we'll say for that because just because that how that's very maybe important to like. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. I, I totally cut you off. My bad. Keep going. So no, you're good. I you're just like, saw that and I can't control my impulses. No, like it's basically for that. It actually works really well because like that Big Ten, as you were saying before, is a very research heavy school, and that's great for them. So, but for my purposes, I'm going to leave them out as if I did not know that. That's mainly because also you kind of need to keep some of these rivalries still going and. You can't bring in University of Washington without also bringing Washington State. The Apple Cup is probably one of the biggest draws like in the country whatsoever, and like that's like known as like a place that people want to go to for rivalry games. So that to me is the big. You got the weird Big Ten, Pac-12 hybrid. The rest of those schools, like a University of Colorado, University of you know, freaking Oregon State, you can definitely see them. You know, either going independent or kind of going to the Mountain West kind of route. And to me, right now, I think the Big Twelve is going to die. I yeah. really, really have, like, I think I can see someone like Kansas and Baylor. They're going to toy with the idea of maybe going to the ACC, primarily for basketball reasons, especially because Baylor is probably on the route of becoming like Clemson, but the basketball version. I think I agree with our friends uh, around the around the water jug that you really just, you're not going to, the response to this, in my opinion, for the ACC is not to expand. But if we're going to, I do think Baylor is the one, is the team I would like to see us go after with the most fervor with, I think, maybe West Virginia being number two, but I don't, the more I think about it, West Virginia on paper, that sounds good. If I was playing NCAA 2014, I'd put them yep. in our conference, but that just, I don't if you, see if you, if you go back to Pat White days, you'd want West Virginia in there and also prime That's Bob right. Huggins when he was coaching there. Yeah. And, but same thing I said about UCF. I mean, it, but different, same, same, but different mm -hmm. UCF, I think has a massive alumni base, not really the fan base that I think people act like they do. I think West Virginia has a smaller a, a more, you know, a uh, larger percentage of their alumni are diehard fans, but their base isn't really that big. They're not in a huge media market and media markets really don't matter that much with YouTube TV. And it's not even with streaming. I heard they're like, a cult, they're like a cult, cult classic movie. Like there's like, you have the really diehard fans. Right. They're super loud, but it's also super small. small. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if like, I was thinking about it today when I heard someone else talking, it was Bud on the Nolcast was talking about streaming and I'm not taking a shot at, at him because it's a valid point, but what difference does streaming make? I mean, ESPN basically owns all the rights anyway. <laughs> like there is essentially streaming just on whatever you want to watch it on because I don't know if anyone's going to be able to compete with ESPN's bidding for these movie rights unless, which he said, and I actually thought it was interesting, unless Amazon decides to just come in hot and bid on a conference's TV rights, I think I, mean, I would go over like the ACC network went over. I think that the college football fan base is older than people are thinking it is. And I think that there's a lot of people that still don't really understand how to use a fire stick. And just don't see Amazon wanting to get into that hole. Yeah. Cause, and if Amazon did want to get into that, they probably would have already done so with the PAC 12 and the, and probably the big 10, those would be probably be their primary major markets right there. Well, there's also um, a massive difference between buying a film studio and being able to produce live games. It's not yeah. easy. They don't, yeah. that's, that is a set of institutional skills that they would have to, I don't even think they'd have to spend money learning it. I think they'd just end up subcontracting it. And at that point, are you really gaining anything? Why not just let CBS bid on the rights and you just go in as a co-bidder with them and co-stream it. And nothing illustrates more how difficult it is to put a really, really good product out there for streaming and sports in general, than compare what ESPN does with college game day and ESPN and the NBA finals. And compare right now to how NBC is broadcasting the Olympics and how all the graphics and everything works out. It is, you can tell it's a nine day like quality of a product. Like folks, like next time you go home, check that out. Cause it's really just ESPN just like, is just leaves and bounds over them.
I mean, watch the ACC network try to do a, a morning show. I, I personally love Mark Richt, and you know that EJ Manuel is one of my favorite football yeah. players of all time, and I still can't watch it. Like, I would love to sit around a coffee table and have morning coffee, maybe an Irish coffee with those two, and I still, like, cannot bring myself to watch it even when the other channel is actively shitting on my team. So mm-hmm. it's it's harder than it looks, and I just – anyway, we're, we've talked about that way too long. And if you feel like there's something on your car it's not working the way it should, well, rockauto.com is going to have your solution. You needed some parts. You need, I don't know, rearview mirror, bumper, anything big or small that you need. In fact, recently – I actually haven't fixed a car in a while. I was going to tell you guys about something I did. I, I really haven't fixed a car in a while, but I'll go back to the headlight story. Last time I had to do my headlights, got them on rockauto.com. It took like three minutes, did my year, my make, my model, told them I needed headlights. Boom, it's easy. It's done. Low prices, really convenient, huge selection, fast shipping. Tell them Locked On sent you at rockauto.com. What's up, guys? Drake here. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Now, folks, usually you know when you hear my voice, it means one of two things. Either A, you know it's our interview, or B, which is the latter, we had a lot to talk about today. and got a little bit carried away, but not carried away because we love what we do. And we actually have enough for two episodes. Part one, you're listening to right, just finished listening it up to today on Tuesday. And part two will be dropping on Wednesday where we finalize our discussion regarding the core four conferences that we, how we see them going forward. And also, Max likes to play a little game with the remaining big eight, big eight as he calls them, schools, as the little garage sale and see where schools like an Iowa State or Kansas State or even Oklahoma State, where they end up once Texas and Oklahoma leave and the Big 12, you know, is left scrambling and ceases to exist anymore. That being said, thank you all so much for the love and support. And please, if you can, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, either on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. For Max, I'm Drake. We'll see you next time on Locked On Seminoles. Take care, everybody.